Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by, all, by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you guys. And also, welcome to you who are online. Glad you could be with us. Uh, I know that we all have been disoriented at some point. And I think uh, the best way to re uh, explain this feeling is if you've ever taken a, like a nap in the afternoon and you really have a, like a really deep sleep, and then you wake up from the nap, and you're like, is it morning? Wait, is it, what, what day? I, I forgot. Where, what's going on? And, you know, you're just, like, disoriented because you slept so deeply, but it's not at the usual time, you know, at, at night. I, I've had that happen to me, though I don't, I rarely take naps because when I do, I, I'm usually out for quite a while. So I, I don't know. I've just never liked going to sleep um, since I was a kid. You know, my mom probably hated that part of my, my personality when I was a little kid. But I remember this story May told me of this disoriented student. Um, I don't know if it was in your class, but the story was that this student in Taiwan, the seminary there in Taiwan where May taught, uh, he fell asleep during a Hebrew class. And he fell asleep so deeply that he snored really loud. But he snored so loud that he woke himself up. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I, I've had it happen once where, you know, you're like, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, was that me? You know? <laughs> and, and, but he was so deep in his sleep when he snored and woke himself up, he was so disoriented, he was like, it was obvious he didn't know where he was. And here he was in class. And so the professor was really kind. He was like, it's okay, you're in Hebrew class. It's okay, you're in class, no worries. And he was so nice about it because everybody knew this guy had just had a newborn and 
he hadn't been able to get much sleep, you know, the last week or two. And so they were all very uh, understanding about that. The reason I bring this up is because Galatians, as we see in our text, and we've been going through, is they are at a point, and Paul's writing this letter to them because they're very disoriented. They're confused about what the truth is. Even though Paul, when he first visited Galatia, and he shared the gospel with them, they believed it, and they understood it, and then they followed Christ. But now this other group, after Paul had left, had come, we call, Paul calls them the circumcision group, had come and told them an additional stuff that they needed to know, uh, they, at least they said, to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to be like a Jew. You have to follow the Old Testament laws in order to be saved, as well as believing in Jesus. So they added something to the gospel, which is a false gospel, which we saw earlier. So to kind of give you an idea of what this is like happening to the Galatians, um, I'm not going to ask Tiffany to come up and demonstrate this. For this, I'll put on my mask since I'm getting close to another person. If you could come right up here. Um, how about right here? That should be on camera, if that's good. Give me a thumbs up. Okay, great. We've got to think about our people online as well. So, Tiffany, I'm just going to twirl you around. Keep your eyes open, and let's just keep going around as fast as you can. Just keep going around. Yeah, you know, you've probably played this game with a bat when you put your head on a bat. And, yeah, and you, you feeling pretty good now? Okay, go sit down. Just go sit down. <laughs> she's good. She's walking slow. But she's a good, she's a good uh, sport, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tiffany. But that, you can see, she's a little unsteady there because uh, she's out of balance, disoriented. Thank you for that, allowing that abuse. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a way, though, of not being dizzy when you spin around like that. Does anybody know how to do that? It's called spotting. And dancers and ice skaters use that when they spin. If you notice, they, they spot. And what does that mean? They they fix their eyes on one thing, and then as they're turning, they'll keep their head on it, and then once they lose it, they whip their head around and find that spot again, and they keep on that, and that helps them, that fixated on that one spot, and it keeps them from not being so dizzy when they finish spinning. And, and so they're not so disoriented. And I bring this up because, again, this is what Paul's trying to do with the Galatians, is telling them and reminding them, you're not fixing your eyes on the spot that you need to, which is the truth of Jesus Christ. Because they've been confused, disoriented. And this letter to the people that lived in this area of Galatia and the Roman Empire, these Christians there, the churches that Paul had planted, um, they were buying into them, or at least some of the people in these churches were buying into this false teaching, and it confused them and led them away from the truth. You know, the author the, this, of this letter, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 1, verse 7. In chapter 1, verse 7. Here we go. It's not working, Daniel, for some reason. There we go. All right. Uh, he said there, if you remember, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it's working now. That's good. Uh, Paul said, you foolish Galatians, you have, who has bewitched you? See, the Galatian Christians were so confused. It was like they were disoriented. They didn't know which way was the right way to go, the truth, which Paul had preached to them, but they, they had turned away from it. 
and they had gone back to their way of living before they knew Christ in, in certain ways, uh, being, in, in a sense, captivated by a lie that they had accepted into their hearts. I experienced this at a point in my life. Um, it was during my last year in seminary and my first year of marriage, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, for May, uh, because I was a youth pastor at a church in, near Denver, Colorado, a uh, beautiful city of the country, if you haven't experienced, uh, lived there or visited there. Um, but after May and I were married, I, she realized that I wasn't the guy that she had expected to marry. Now, I have to understand, we were separated for two years. She was in Taiwan before we were married, and I was in Colorado. So we kept in touch over the phone and whatever, and, you know, over the phone, I just tell her stuff. I, she doesn't see me in my life. She just hears what I tell her. But when we, she, we got married and she was living here, she realized this guy's different. And I had lost my joy in the Lord and my passion for ministry. And here I am in seminary, and I'm a youth pastor. And so I remember an example. is one time uh, I was going to go to the church facility for a meeting, and May asked me, uh, are you ready for the meeting? And I said, no, I didn't even prepare. And she's like, what? And I said, yeah, I don't even care. I'm just going to go wing it. And she's like, what's wrong with you? you know? And I, I was so, I had lost such joy in the Lord and passion for ministry. I, I couldn't care if I was dead. I actually wished I was dead. Um, I was going to take action to kill myself, but I would mind, like I told May, this really comforted her in our first few weeks of marriage, that I, I wouldn't mind if a truck hit me and took me out, you know? Yeah, that gives your young bride a real confident security. Um, that's sarcasm that I'm using right there. <laughs> so I, I had lost this joy. I was miserable, and my heart felt dead. And how did I get to this point in my life? Well, it's because I had got my eyes off the truth, and I was believing in a lie about myself. And so I, I, my heart had died. I, I was captivated by this. And I'll give you more details later. See, the ancient, this ancient letter to the churches in Galatia is as much a letter for us today in our situation as it was for them in their situation 2,000 years ago. And many of us here today have heard the truth about Jesus. And we have bought into it. We've trusted Christ and we follow him. But then we have somehow, it's along the way, started to believe in something else as well. And we've lost our way. We've become disoriented and confused about the truth that we, need, we said we would follow. And so these philosophies or these teachings or these, uh, if you go to our 10 o'clock class, this assumptive language that we were learning about, we just adopt it without any question, and then it confuses us. And we turn back to, as our text says, those weak and miserable forces of the, wis the world's wisdom, and we just get turned around, and we are enslaved by these. Well, today we're going to learn in, from our text three signs that we see for when and if we are turning away from the truth of Christ and being enslaved by this world philosophy or these lies that we adopt or add to the gospel. And if we see any of these three in our lives, then we need to examine where this happened. What are we trusting in that is not true? And identify it and then get rid of it and believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. So the first sign of turning back to the ways of the world, we'll call it, or the philosophies of the world, is that we turn against God's truth. It's, it's not working again. 
we turn against God's truth. Daniel, I need the next slide. There we go. Uh, and verses 8 and 9, okay, it's working again, uh, speak to this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So what are these weak and miserable forces mentioned here that Paul is pointing to? Well, Paul in his letter to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, gives us a little more insight into this. He says there, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. He's connecting these philosophies or these lies that we buy into spiritual forces in the world as well, because we know the evil one and his demons are behind anything that is a lie in this world. Ultimately, it's a spiritual battle. So, uh, what are these weak and miserable forces? It's this philosophy. And remember, the Galatians were not, uh, they were Gentiles, mostly. They were not Jews. And so, their lives before they believed in Jesus was quite different than Jewish people. They, they worshipped other gods. They practiced magic. They looked to the stars, the, you know, to see what meaning in life there is, you know, like the horoscopes some people use nowadays. Um, they had a lot of fear of evil spirits. So this was their life before Christ. And, and it would be like in today, uh, in, say, the Chinese culture, this belief in feng shui, right? The, you know, you, this idea or this belief system that uh, good fortune comes to you if you do things a certain way. So you've got to have your house facing a certain direction, right? You have to clean your ancestors' graves to get good fortune for yourself. You've got to make sure their graves are all cleaned up uh, regularly. Um, there are certain days of the week that you need to, or certain days that it's better to marry on. Uh, you don't want to marry on the other days because you have bad luck. Uh, certain days to bury your loved ones, certain days to go shopping on. There's a, uh, a person that's born in the year of the tiger, hey, today, and this year, right? Should not marry somebody who's born of the year of the dog, because that's going to be bad luck. So this is feng shui. Um, the most desirable year, feng shui believes, uh, on which to give birth is the year of the dragon. So remember that, right? So, like, like we have control of that. So, but there's this, all this enslavement, and this is the Galatians. They were similar in their thinking before they knew Christ, that they had all this fear and things that they thought they could do to gain favor with the gods they worshipped or whatever. And then Paul came and preached the gospel to them and gave them true freedom in Jesus. He freed them from that. But then this circumcision group came and then started to enslave them again, saying, no, you need to follow the Jewish festivals and follow the Jewish laws and do this and that in order to be saved as well as follow Jesus. So it's like the gospel plus something. And so they were confused, and, and this led them away uh, and turned them against God's truth. Look at verses 10 and 11. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So the Galatians were observing these Jewish festivals and Jewish holy days, thinking it was necessary for them to be close to God, even though they were Gentiles. They weren't even Jews, but they were, they were doing this. 
And God's truth is that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ and our trust in following him as Lord that we are justified. It's not by anything that you and I do. That was the gospel that they had preached to them through Paul. It's not by observing God's law that we gain favor with the Lord God. No, not at all. The false teaching of legalism is that by doing things at certain times and certain ways, then we, in a sense, gain favor with God, and then he is obligated to show some good things to us, like a vending machine, right? We do our part, and then we get something back. That's, that's legalism. For example, uh, when I was in Denver, uh, for the years I lived there, there was this church called Bear Valley Baptist Church. And while I was living there, they held uh, this worship service on Saturday evenings for those who worked on Sundays. So they, you know, they could be a part of a worship, you know, gather together as Christians and worship. They also had a worship service on Tuesday nights for those who worked in retail, at malls and things like that. And it was at Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. They had their gathering. And so, but I'm telling you this because there were quite a few Christians at that time uh, that criticized that practice because you were supposed to worship on Sundays. That's when real Christians come to gather. So they viewed these Christians that worked on, worshiped on Saturday nights and Tuesdays as inferior Christians. They weren't quite achieving what gave you the best credit with the Lord God. And so you see that this legalism had built into this thinking that Sundays, and actually Sundays at 11 o'clock, and we worship at 11.30, is also not a spiritual decision of when this time has come about for the tradition of people in America, many American churches, Sunday at 10 or 11. You know where that comes from? Early in last century, most of our country was in agricultural, like farming. And so farmers, every day, they have to get up and do a lot of chores right away with their animals and all that stuff. So the church gatherings were naturally scheduled after their chores were over, later in the morning. And that's why church services started late in the morning. And it just became a tradition, and that's when you do it, right? Because if you think about it, wouldn't it be better to do it early in the morning or after the, at the end of the day? So you do that, but no, that's how they did it. And so we've just adopted that. And legalism is the way of the world because it values outward qualities rather than a change of heart. For another example, uh, there's a cultural legalism that we all struggle with as Christians in today's culture. And that is that the busier we are, the more value we gain before God. I mean, just think about our conversations. Well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. That's like... A label of worth there. I am so busy, meaning I'm doing things of valuable, right? I'm so busy. Uh, this is a form of legalism, and it's invaded our hearts. It seems that there is a pressure to be busy doing things to add value to our lives, whether it's church or work or school study or whatever it is. We just got to be busy, 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 busy. Um, Think of how we feel about people if you say, hey, how you doing? You're like, man, I'm not busy at all. Yeah, that just doesn't sit right with us. You're like, wow, what? <laughs> you know, you slouch. No. Yeah, it's just not, it's not the way we, we buy into. And you think of vacations, we go on vacations, we pack them full, we'll do this and that and that and this, and we come back, we're exhausted from a vacation. We had a good time, but we're exhausted from vacation, um, and we feel like we got the value for our money, though. 
So there is this busyness, this legalism of busyness in our mind. You know, our value as a son of God is because of what Jesus did for us, not based on anything we've done for him. And this is the truth of God's word. But somehow we keep buying into this, we need to add value to our lives by what we do. And, and why does Jesus stress the state of our hearts so much rather than the activities of our lives? Why? Why does he do that? Because he knows that from our hearts, what's in our hearts flows the decisions of what we do, the activities of our lives. So that's why Jesus always focuses on our heart state rather than specifically on what we do. Because they're all connected. You know, we must stop doing so much and simply focus on what it means to be a son of God, both for men and women. We remember last week, that term, son of God, applies to both of us. You know, there's a statement that says, don't just sit there, do something. But if we think about it in the light of Christ's truth, we should say, rather, don't just do something, sit there, be still, commune with our Lord, God, through prayer, through study of his word, through meditation, and consider what does it mean to be a son of God. You know, God said in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I think we're fighting each other now. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, be still and know that I am God. Jesus modeled this. He was very busy in his life, but he always made a, a point to get alone by himself and be with the Lord, God the Father. And remember, that so many times the disciples had to go look for him because they didn't, he didn't tell them where he went. <laughs> he like snuck out. He wanted to get away from them. But he, he carved out that time. And our problem is we are so busy, too busy doing the things we want to do, but we're too busy to pray. We're too busy to read God's word where we understand who he is, the great, almighty, powerful, loving redeemer. We're too busy in our own minds to contemplate who we are in Christ. Basically, when we don't read God's word regularly or we don't spend time in prayer, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Because in our minds, we're just too busy doing the things we want to do. So when we turn back to the ways of the world, we turn against God's truth. But we also see in our text that we turn against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this point in verses 16 and 17 when the Galatians turned against Paul. He says there, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Paul was close to the Galatians, and they were close to him from his time with them. They had believed and learned from Paul the truth of the gospel, but then this circumcision group came after Paul had left and turned them against Paul, in a sense, because they had now started to, some of them had started following this false gospel. And it actually, then they began to start thinking of Paul as their enemy. It had broken that relationship in their own hearts. And whenever one of us begins to live after the principles of the world that are not in line with the truth of the gospel, it will affect us and our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're no longer on the same page. It, it, in a sense, it separates us. It causes a disunity in the body of Christ because we are not on the same page. 
Whenever we begin to live our lives in this way of the world, then it will cause problems within the body of Christ. And I, I experienced this when I was a youth pastor in, in Colorado, and there was this one youth I got really close with. He had lots of needs, and so I, it was drawn to that, and, and we got really we got to know each other and trust each other well, at least I felt. But then he, unknown to me, he started to secretly fall back to his sinful ways. And he kept it secret from me and from the others in the youth group. And it wasn't long bef- before we all realized there was something wrong. Uh, he was avoiding me, where he never did that before. Uh, he seemed paranoid. He was quick to get angry with people if we tried to pry in and ask a little bit about what he was going on. Uh, he eventually dropped out of youth activities. He didn't come to church anymore. In that sense, he used, started using drugs, I found out, and then dropped out of high school even. Uh, so he just really went off the deep end. And then he ended up turning against his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul knew that some of the Galatians had turned against him, and this is why he was writing to them in this way because they had turned away from the truth and turned back to the ways of the world. And when we live like this, we turn against God's truth, and then we turn against our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also will experience the third sign here is that we lose joy in the Lord. We lose the joy of the Lord. And Paul asked the Galatians in verse 15. He said, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Now, this translation here of the NIV is a little confusing, I found. Um, the word blessing here means just simply it uh, denotes the transcendent happiness of, a, in, of life beyond care or uh, labor, like work, or beyond death even. It's just there's this happiness, this blessedness in that sense. Paul was asking them, what happened to your blessing? In a sense, your blessing in Christ. Um, and I prefer the following translations because this, the NIV here is a little confusing. Uh, the New Living Translation says, for example, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Or the New American Standard says, where then is that sense of blessing you had? This is a very serious question for us to ask ourselves. Is Do we have the joy of the Lord? And if we don't, where did it go? How did we lose it? Because God's not going to take it away from us. (laughs) So it's not his problem. And as we get old and mature, that doesn't take it away from us. And circumstances are not going to take the joy of the Lord away from us. So what happened to it? What takes it away from us is wrong beliefs. When we buy into something that isn't in line with the truth, that robs the joy of the Lord from us. And this is what happened to the Galatians. It had robbed the Galatian believers of their joy in the Lord because now they're confused and disoriented and they don't know which way is right. And they're following the wrong path. It's interesting how Paul asked what happened to their joy, and then what did he say? He reminded them that they would have gauged, gauged you know, how does that word? Anyway, ripped out their eyes <laughs> to help, them, help him in his sickness, which means that a lot of people think that Paul had something wrong with his eyes, right? That makes sense. We don't know what it was, 
But they were willing, out of the joy they had, to do that. What does joy have to do with this sacrifice, like this suffering, willing to suffer for someone else's sake? And the author of Hebrew gives us some insight into this by the model of Christ, the example of Jesus in chapter 12. He says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was before him. And likewise, Paul is reminding them, you had such joy in the Lord, you were willing to do this for me. If it would help, I mean, obviously, ripping their eyes out is not going to help him, but he was like using that idiom to say, you were so willing to sacrifice on my behalf because of your joy. What is joy? Well, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul describes it that way. Uh, later in this uh, letter, in Galatians 5, you've heard this before if you've been familiar with the, the, the scriptures, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The American Heritage Dictionary says that joy is a source or object of pleasure or satisfaction. Our satisfaction and joy is in the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord. Our joy is in His joy, in Him alone. And when we take our eyes off Him, then that is when we start to lose our joy. Or we could say it is robbed from us. It's like sucked out of us. The source of our joy is Christ Himself. And because of the joy before us and the hope we have in Him, then we can endure hardship like Jesus endured as well because of the joy that is in us. So the question then to us, nothing can take that joy from us. In a sense, nobody's going to grab it and take it from us. So why have we lost our joy if we realize we have? It's because, again, there is something in your life or my life that is robbing that joy. It's based on a lie, an untruth that we have accepted and believe in. So the signs of turning back to the weak and miserable forces of the world are that we turn against God's truth. We turn against our brothers and sisters in Christ and we lose the joy we have in the Lord. So if you're here today convinced that Jesus is, I mean unconvinced that Jesus is Lord, then you at least have two of these. Right? You can't turn against your brothers and sisters in Christ because you're not in Christ yourself, so, but you definitely will experience you're turning away from God's truth and you don't have joy in your life. And if we are followers of Jesus, we can have any one of these. And that's a sign of us turning, uh, being led away, being confused. But then Paul in our text models how to do this. God's truth and love point a person to God. And he does this to the Galatians, we see. Because when we speak the truth in love to either those who are unconvinced that Jesus is Lord or to the brothers and sisters who are going on their own turning away from the path of truth, we, in a sense, then, are pointing them back to God by just speaking God's truth in love to them. Look how Paul modeled this for us in the text. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul shared the truth with them in verses 8 through 11. And then here, he shares his love for them 
by sharing it and his concern, so much like he's like in a motherly figure, giving birth to them again. And from what I'm told, Ursula, you could confirm this, giving birth is not really a pleasant experience, right? You don't know? <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I, you know, as guys, we just will never have that experience. But it seems to be pretty painful according to the, the curse in Genesis 3 that greatly increased the pains of childbirth. So I've been told by doctors it's some of the strongest pains that somebody can ever experience. Not to scare those of you who haven't given birth yet, but um, that's, that's just the facts. And so this is him in the sense he's just trying to describe his concern and love for the Galatians. Paul desired to restore the Galatians to the truth. And listen to what he writes in chapter 6, verse 1 of our, our, this letter. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you are to res- uh, who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. And Paul wants to share his love and concern for the Galatians here that with gentleness, like a mother would with a child, to dis- restore them gently. And this requires true love and concern for someone to restore them gently. Well, when I was living with a loss of joy in the Lord and wishing I was dead, as I was uh, sharing earlier, there were two dear brothers of Christ uh, who really helped me in, in this restoring process. And the first one, his name is Dr. Richard Brandau. Uh, he was a good friend of ours, and he helped May and I understand our relationship as husband and wife in light of biblical truth. And that was very helpful to us because you can imagine my situation was not helpful to our relationship as husband and wife at that time. And then another dear brother from Denver Seminary, Dr. Vernon Grounds, he helped me realize that I had gotten off the path that God had called me to. Because as a pastor, um, I was not doing the things that a pastor is supposed to do. I was doing everything but what a pastor, at least in my giftedness, was called to do. For example, I was doing most of the church administration stuff. Uh, Like uh, we had a Head Start program and a daycare and our church facilities. And I was very involved in administrating and keeping that going. Uh, Then I handled church security and even for a time kept church financial records up to date. This is what I was doing as the pastor of one of the pastors of the church. And I was only able to do a small amount of teaching, even though my heart was for teaching and preaching and discipling and making disciples in Christ. So I had gotten so far off that I was depressed. I was, I, and I thought this is what I was supposed to do, because that's what I was told I was supposed to do. And so when I began to realize this by this brother, Dr. Vernon Grounds, my heart just became alive again. It was like I was renewed because I realized, like, yeah, this is what the scriptures say I'm in my role is supposed to do, uh, you know, being teaching and preaching and doing these things I really have a passion for. And so my passion returned. I made changes in my life. And now I can say that I no longer wish I was dead. Yeah, so be comforted. <laughs> yeah, I am alive in Christ. Uh, and to die, I'm just looking forward to that. I'm not going to make it happen, but I'm looking forward to my death because then my race will be over and I will be with Christ forever. God's truth and love point a person to God. The signs of turning back to the weak and miserable forces of the world are that we turn against God's truth 
We turn against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We lose the joy we have in the Lord. Do any of you have those signs in your life? Can you think of your situation now? And if you have any one of those, or more than one, then you need to think, so what is, what is the lie, what is the untruth that is causing me confusion? And I would encourage you to talk to a brother or sister in Christ and share this and, and let them allow them to help speak God's truth to you and point you back to God. This is what God offers all of us through Jesus because he said he is the truth. And so when we look to Christ, he is the embodiment of God's truth and love because God so loved the world, he sent his truth incarnate in the flesh to come and dwell among us and then to die on our behalf and take our punishment on himself. An amazing truth there. And that whoever follows him then will have eternal life. And given that life that starts now and forevermore uh, continues on, as long as we trust and follow Jesus as Lord. That is the truth on which we stand strong. Let's pray. Lord, we stand strong on this truth, but Lord, we know that we often stumble and lose our way because we hear things, we're told things, we read things, we watch things, and we buy into those things. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would continue to help us take captive any thought that is against your truth. And I pray that we would also be able to hold each other um, accountable with truth and love, that we can approach each other and encourage each other and point each other back to your truth in Christ when we see us stumbling and getting confused and disoriented in life. 